welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. How you doing? You good? Excellent. We're going to continue our series, and I just realized time is so, so, so getting away. Um, so I want to just jump straight on into it. We're continuing our series on the redemptive names of God. We're up to part six, which means we've had five parts before that. Um, and the whole purpose of this series is to have a high view of God and to take our eyes off our problems and fix our eyes on Him. Human beings basically have seven basic needs. They need a sense of peace and dignity and purpose and health and provision and friendship and a sense of victory. And uh, this whole series is about knowing that our God, our one God, meets all of those needs. And so instead of looking at all our needs and all of our problems, we want to look at the one who provides for us. The one who's able to meet all our needs according to his riches in glory. And so we've been looking at a number of attributes, characteristics and names of God. And I'm going to continue that this morning. Um, We are looking at Jehovah Sekenyu. Everyone say Jehovah Sekenyu. That's a silent T. Okay, for those of you looking up on the screen thinking, where's the T fit into that? Um, And it simply means the Lord, our righteousness. And I want to read to you from Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 5 and 6. It says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is right and just in the land, In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called. The Lord, our righteousness. The Lord, our righteousness. Of all the parts to this series, today's part and today's talk is the most important one. This hinges on everything we ever hear from this platform any other time. We need to understand the biblical perspective of what it is to be righteous. In order to get into this, we need to look at just that question, what is it to be righteous? What is true biblical righteousness? Someone many years ago simplified it to this thought. It's right standing with God. And that's not a bad definition of righteousness, having right standing with God. How many of you would like to have right standing with God? That's a noble notion. But the point is, what does righteousness look like? How do we get this right standing with God? And I believe this is where the problem comes in because of the way we interpret and determine what is righteousness. A lot of people think that righteousness is uprightness. Or morality, or good conduct, good behavior. Doing the right thing will make us righteous. Have any of you thought like that? Well, here's the problem that thinking is fundamentally flawed. Fundamentally, it is flawed. I say that because you can possess all these qualities and still be unrighteous in God's sight. I'm going to preach really well this morning and you better respond well. 
We can possess all these qualities and still be unrighteous. How do I know that? Because there are many non-Christians, people that don't go to church, people that don't, do not declare a love for God, that do nice things. There are a lot of non-Christians that are far nicer to cats than I ever will be. If there's a cat stuck up in a tree, I'll get it down, all right? Like, sorry, Belinda, there she is. How are you, Belinda? Cool, sweet. Doing nice things doesn't mean you're a nice person. Like Jeremiah, we need a revelation about true biblical righteousness. If we don't, we are laboring in vain. We need to understand righteousness from a biblical perspective. And I want to look at three things this morning, very quickly. And I hope this helps you grasp the enormity of what I'm about to say. I've got so many scriptures today, so many thoughts. I don't know that I'm going to get there, but I hope you catch the heart of what I'm about to share. If we are going to understand what true biblical righteousness is all about, there are some things that we need to understand about righteousness and about um, what is right and what is good. And this first point I'm about to make might floor and shock some of you. It might want to cause some of you just to leave immediately, but I want you to hang around. I don't want you to just run off or just dial out. Some of you might not run out because you're too embarrassed to make a scene, but you might switch off inside. I want you to be with me, okay? Turn to the person next to you and say, stay with him. I need you to stay with me today because what I'm about to share is going to offend some of you. It's going to shock some of you. Some of you are going to be just despising what I'm about to say. But you need to hear it. If you don't hear it, you'll never get a true grasp of what biblical righteousness is all about. Is that a good enough introduction for what I'm about to say? Because this is going to shock you, this first point. It's not going to sound Christian. It's not going to sound like Jesus, meek and mild, is there for your every woman need. It's not that. Are you ready for this point? Do you want it? If, you, if, you, if you're not sure, you might want to just get up now and just leave because you know, if, you're really, if you get offended easy, just leave now. Because I am going to offend some of you. If you're a person who gets offended real easy, leave now. We will shut our eyes. Everyone shut your eyes and you just leave right now. We won't look. We won't look. We won't. We're not, gonna, we're not looking. Oh, some are coming in. That's awesome. That's great. Coming right to the front. That's fantastic. Anyone like being abused? And, uh, come to the front. You're going to love this. I always remember a friend of mine, she's American, her name was Denise Mira, uh, Belinda knows her well, and she used to sit on the front row when I was preaching at different conferences around the world, and uh, when I was getting tough, she'd say, hurt us, Tony, hurt us! <laughs> so if you want to be hurt, come to the front row, I'll, I'll hurt you. Um, but in love, because the truth hurts occasionally. Amen? Cheers. Let me just take a drink of water so I just build up the courage to say what I'm about to say. All right. Woo. Point number one you will never, ever, ever, ever be good enough for God. I think I might have added a few nevers and evers. It's not even up there. 
All right, it's not working. It's cool. I'm going to keep it real simple then. You follow that? If you're saying like, well, do you mean like never? I mean never. You've got to catch this. You want to know what true biblical righteousness looks like? It's this. It starts here. You will never be good enough for God. And this is something you are probably struggling to grasp with now and probably have for many years. And I'll tell you where the problem lies. The problem lies because we compare ourselves with ourselves. And so we look at someone who's doing worse than us and justify our righteousness because we are better than them. And so we feel righteous. I'm going to heaven because I'm better than Andre. I've been going to church longer than him. Not the place to compare it to. As a man, better than all the women. In some cultures, that's very real thinking. Some women in certain cultures are treated like dogs. Have an elevated opinion of themselves. I'm a pastor! That's how righteous I am. We compare ourselves with ourselves and fall short of the mark every time. It's like a bunch of prisoners talking to one another about how better they are than somebody else. But here's the point. What makes them a prisoner in the first place is that they all broke the law. Doesn't matter what they did, they broke the law. Well, I just sped. You actually killed someone. No, no, no. You all broke the law. You're in jail because you all broke the law. As human beings, we all broke God's law. What's the law? I'm glad you asked. Now I'm responding for you. And <laughs> I've got to preach and respond. This is tiring. The law is the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not. Remember them? Moses, finger of God. One, two. We've all broke that law. God's holy, righteous law. So, you know, thou shalt not murder. I haven't killed anyone. Really? Have you ever wished anyone dead? Well, guilty. But let's not start with that. Let's just start with the first one. Thou shalt love the Lord your God. Thou shalt not covet their neighbor's things. We've all broken the law. Doesn't matter which one. Doesn't matter how many times. We've all broken the law. Wouldn't it be ridiculous prisoners talking about who's better than the other one when they've all broken the law? It's ridiculous when human beings compare ourselves to one another when we've all fallen short of God's holy, righteous law. It is not our 
place to compare ourselves with somebody else. Paul goes on to the Corinthians and says, it's actually not wise to compare yourselves with other people because that's not our plumb line. That's not our measuring stick. You might say, oh yeah, but the 10 commands are a bit hard to live by. No, they're not. They're impossible. (laughs) The law wasn't put in place to make you holy. The law was put in place to show you that you're unholy. It's like a mirror. A mirror shows you what you are. And if you're dirty, the mirror doesn't clean you. It just says you're dirty. That's what the law does. It says unholy. (laughs) Come up. Liar. You ever wake up in the morning, you'd like, just get out of bed. No, just look at yourself. No. So the law's like, it's just, wow, I just, I'm, it wasn't there to make us holy. It was there to highlight one thing. You're not good enough. You never will be. That's the point of it. And we have some boneheads think they can actually be good enough. I don't swear. I don't drink. My hair's just the right length. What's that got to do with anything? Anyone offended? Hurt us, Tony. The prophet Isaiah was a holy man. And you can read about him in your own time. Chapters 1 through to 5 just talk about this incredible man of God. One I would aspire to be like, I just can't have a candle to Elijah. I mean, like uh, Isaiah, incredible man of God. And in chapter 6 of Isaiah, he had a revelation. And it says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne and exalted and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each had six wings and with two wings they covered their face, with two they covered their feet and two they were flying and they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who the whole earth is filled with his glory. At the sound of their voice, the doorpost and the threshold shook and the trem- temple was filled with smoke. What a revelation. If I came to you and told you that, you'd put me on a preaching circuit and say, tell people your revelation. You're such a mighty man of God to be exposed to such wonder and such beauty. This doesn't happen to just anybody. I mean, this is, this is Isaiah's moment to get on the preaching circuit and oh. But let's look at his response. His response, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5. Woe to me, I cry. What? How about how awesome am I? How good am I? When's the last time you had a revelation like that, Andre? I have. Not Isaiah. He says, woe to me. I am ruined. I'm undone. 
I'm like a dead man. I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. The most holy of all servants at that time had a revelation just how unholy he was. This is a man people would have aspired to be like. That would have been the benchmark of holiness. People in Isaiah's day would have said, oh, I wish I could be more like Isaiah. If there's any silly people out there where I happen to be your benchmark, God help you. Isaiah says, woe to me. Why? Because he compared himself not to others, but to God. And any ounce of righteousness or holiness or purity that he had in people's eyes, by comparison to God's holiness and purity, paled into absolute insignificance. He says, I'm undone. The only thing he was aware of in the presence of God was his sin. Doesn't leave much room for us. I haven't had that kind of revelation or vision. I'm stuffed. So are you. Turn to the person next to you and say, I think I'm stuffed. (laughs) Isaiah had a revelation. I'm not good. And there's nothing good that lives in me. Oh, I might be better than Graham Hazel. Yeah, that's easy. (laughs) Pete, a little bit harder, but I think I'm just above him. (laughs) My wife can't compare. She's awesome. She's, oh. (laughs) But God, God. Isaiah, verse 64, chapter 64, verse 6, goes on to say, having had this revelation way back in verse 6, or chapter 6, says, all of us have become like one who is unclean. All of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Those filthy rags that he's talking about is talking about a women's monthly period. Bit graphic, bit gross. But that's how good your works are. Prophet, the Isaiah speaking. Your works are like filthy rags to him. I was having this conversation with someone a few years ago. And they looked at me and interrupted. And maybe some of you feel like doing that right now. They said, are you saying I'm a bad person? I said, no, not at all. And they kind of breathed a sigh of relief. I said, no, you're much, much worse than that. (laughs) And we are. To think you're bad is to give yourself a promotion. We're much worse than that. If we were bad, we might have some hope. But we're much worse than that. You 
and me will never, ever, ever be good enough for God. Second point, let's redeem this meeting, shall we? Before some of you kill yourself. It's like a brutal gym session, isn't it? Second point, God will always be good enough for you. You'll never be good enough for God, but God will always be good enough for us. How was Isaiah purified? Not by any work of his own hands. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 6, having had this revelation that woe to me, it says, one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips and your guilt is taken away and your sin has been atoned for. Isaiah's atonement and his righteousness had nothing to do with the work of the flesh. He did nothing to achieve favour with God. It was a work of God's hand and a work of God's hand only. It was when he came to the end of himself that God was able to do his best work. Key to Christianity 101. You've got to die before you can live. God himself brought about the righteousness required. Going back to our very first scripture, uh, Jeremiah's revelation. You know, the revelation Jeremiah had was this, that righteousness is a who, not a to do. He prophesied of an event that would take place six to seven hundred years later at the birth of Jesus Christ. When God revealed himself as Jehovah Sekenu, he declared utter contempt on any kind of righteousness attempted by the flesh. In Romans chapter 3, verse 21, it says, But now a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Here's the thing that separates religion from Christianity. Religion is man's attempt to get to God. Christianity is God coming to man. You can't be good enough. Jesus was born of a virgin. We're going to celebrate that around this season of Christmas. What's so important about the virgin birth? The importance is that it was God himself. It was God's seed in Mary, not man's seed. Not man's corrupted seed, but God's pure, unblemished seed. You see, if I have contaminated water, it doesn't matter how clean the container is, it's still contaminated. And so there has to be a new bloodline. And it was the Holy Spirit that overshadowed Mary and put in her a new bloodline. And Jesus was born of a virgin. 
He lived among the people for some 33 and a half years. The Bible says it this way, that the Word became flesh. In other words, Jesus fleshed out the Word of God. He showed us what the Word of God looked like. He showed us what the fulfillment of the law looked like. He showed us what it was to not be covetous. He showed us what it was to love God with all your heart, mind, body and strength. He showed us what it was to not covet your neighbour's wife. He showed us in every way, shape and form. He was tempted and tested in every way as you and I are. Yet He never faltered. He never sinned. He was pure. He was holy. He was perfect. And He went to the cross as pure perfection, sinless perfection. That's our Christ. He died on a cross. Why? Because justice had to be served. Someone had to pay a price for man's sin. And Jesus says, I will. That's why he went to the cross. Not for himself, but for us. Romans chapter 5, verse 17 says, For by the trespass of one man, death reigned throughout that one man. How much more those that receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness, reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. It didn't finish there on the third day, having been dead and buried, he rose again, proving that he was Lord over all, even death. If death can't hold you down, nothing can. The saying is true. You can't keep a good man down. And Jesus is the only good man that could not be kept down. He's the only one who is good enough. Really? 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 See, God accepts only one person. And it's Jesus. God only accepts one person. Only one person can go in the presence of God. Jesus. Only one person. He only accepts one person. Because he was the only person who was pure enough and holy enough and righteous enough. He's the only person that fulfilled the law. He's the only person who's ever walked this earth and never broke the law. He's the only non-criminal among us. Even though he was treated like a criminal. How about that? Every one of us is like this guy. Sinner. You know, when you're a sinner, if you help a cat out of a tree, still a sinner. You help some old lady across the road. Here, I'll help you. Oh, oh, thank you, sir. Oh, it's so nice. Special places. Heaven for you. Still a sinner. You can earn bucket loads of money. Still a sinner. It doesn't matter what you do. Still a sinner. There's only one. God the Father only accepts one. And that is Jesus. But he does accept us when we are in Christ. Because when we're in him, he doesn't see our sin no more. He only sees the righteousness of God. But I'm better than him. Away from me, I never knew you. If he got into heaven, surely I can. 
Only if you're in Christ. Only if you'll die to self, humble yourself, and commit your life to Christ. Other than that, you will go to a lost, miserable eternity. You see, your worst day on planet Earth is nothing compared to a Christless, godless eternity. See, your worst day here on planet Earth is in an environment where God's at work. It's an environment where there's a church praying for you. There's so many great things happening to make your worst day not that bad. You take all that away, and that's what hell is. Hell is quite simply a place where God is not. God is on his throne, God is alive and well, and God is here on planet earth, and it can get pretty bad. How much worse when there is no God? Here's the great news about the gospel it's a scandal. The gospel is a scandal. We get what we don't deserve. I was talking to someone and they're in this room, so I want to be careful, but I was talking to them and they interjected and said, hey, Tony, you you probably hear this before, but you you don't quite know what it is to walk our road. And I stopped them. I said, stop right there. I said, I get it. I get you. I said, I get you. I get your pain. I get your unforgiveness. I get your bitterness. I get your hurt. I get that. I live there. I've experienced all of those things. Hey, it's manifest different than you, sure. But I get you. I get your greed. I get your selfishness. I get your arrogance. I get your pride. I get you. I live there. What I don't get is Jesus. I don't get this man who I treated so badly, who got treated so poorly, and yet he continues to love me. A man who hangs upon a cross and gets beaten, bruised, beyond recognition. He's being mocked and he says, forgive them. I don't get that. I don't deserve that, but I get it. Oh, I get you. And I get you and I get you and I get, I get, I get it. I don't get Jesus. And my daily prayer is, Holy Spirit, help me to understand. Help me to see. Help me to know. Help me to grasp this incredible, magnificent, awesome, amazing, holy, pure righteous, saviour, healer, redeemer. Help me to understand him that I might become more like him. That's my prayer. That's my prayer. As good as this news is, you can only receive his righteousness by faith. I've already read it, but it says that we receive these promises by faith in Jesus. Do you know what faith is? It's a strong belief in God's word. Faith is simply this, being mindful of all the facts, but trusting God anyway. That's why in Romans chapter 4, and I don't have time to read it, but Romans chapter 4, what was credited to Abraham's life was righteousness. Why? Because he believed God. He faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. He looked at Sarah and said, no chance, honey. You're not going to conceive. My goodness me, we are both dead. There's no life in us. We're dead. 
Yet they never wavered through unbelief concerning what? The promises of God. And they started declaring, we shall have a child. And I imagine their family and their friends said, you're mad. I imagine behind their back, they're saying, can you believe that that guy couldn't even give mum a God? Can you believe, oh my God, it's gross. Can you, oh my goodness. And they're talking about kids, are you kidding me? Abraham never wavered. He had a strong, unwavering belief in God's word. That's what faith is. Your righteousness and my righteousness is not dependent on anything I do or say. God doesn't want your money. He wants your faith. God doesn't want your church attendance. He wants your faith. God doesn't want your good works. He wants your faith. He wants you to believe Him regarding the promises of God, regardless of what is going on, in spite of what is happening in my life. I choose God. That's what He wants. And unwavering, uncompromising, I don't care how you treat me. I don't care how silly I look. I ain't giving in. Kind of faith. Got nothing to do with giving your money. Giving your money will not get you into heaven. We give our money because we've caught this truth. And we say, Lord, in view of your mercy, in view of your imputed righteousness, I want to give. Because that's how I demonstrate my faith. Oh, I know the GFC, but I'm going to demonstrate my faith by giving financially. That's how I demonstrate my faith. Not to earn favour with God, but to demonstrate my faith. I keep going to church, not to earn favour with God, but that's how I demonstrate my faith. I know the church isn't perfect, but I'm going to be there because that's how I demonstrate my faith, my strong, unwavering belief that God's Word is true. That's what I do. I'm sweating. You're making me sweat. Where's our musicians? You're never going to be good enough. If you think there's a bit of money in the offering that makes you a good person, please keep your money. You're deceived. You're deluded. You're depraved. If you think because you haven't actually physically killed someone and that makes you a righteous person, you are deceived, deluded, and depraved. Only one who is holy. Only one who is worthy. Only one who is so magnificent, magnificent, I can't even say the word. It's only one. I, I know people look at me, Harry, Tony, a pastor. I, I bump into my old friends from school. Pastor. And they're shocked, but no more shocked than me. I am living proof of my message today. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve to be saved, let alone teaching God's people. Are you kidding? I don't deserve this. I deserve death. 
I deserve eternal separation for anything that is good, anything that is holy. I find the harder I try, the worse it gets. Christianity is not about trying hard, it's about trusting God. Our religion's done an incredibly great job of messing up the truth about Christianity. I hate religion with a passion because all it does is mess up the simple truth of Christianity. And some of you are worse for it. And I hate religion because of how it's messed some of your lives up. Ticks me off. And I'm going to stand up here and sweat and preach and shout and do whatever I have to till the remainder of my days on planet Earth to continue to preach a message that keeps people free. I want to preach this scandalous message of Jesus Christ. Dead, buried, and resurrected. And because of that, I get this chance to live again. What a God. What a Savior. What a Lord. Please stand with me. We're in the presence of the King. Makes me sick how well we treat our pop stars. And if the queen was here, we'd all all scamp around. The king of kings, Jesus Christ, is here, seated on his throne. And we're so flippant with it. Some of our precious people that I love dearly aren't even here this morning because they're being stupid. Make stupid decisions. Because something else is on. What's more important than paying homage to a king who died for us? What's more important? got two of our incredible young men who have shot down a Mount Gambia because their dad had a tragic, tragic accident which caused the loss of his life. They need us. This is our time to display the love of God. It's not a time to do whatever we want to do. We're free, but we're free for a purpose. We're not free to do whatever we want to do. Jesus was free to call down legions of angels. He could have called 12,000 legions of angels and gone off that cross and saved himself. But in so saving himself, he wouldn't have saved you and he wouldn't have saved me. And I would not be declared righteous before God because I could never, ever, ever achieve the holiness that was required to fulfill the law. Only Jesus could and he knew it. He had freedom to call angels, but he chose not to. You have freedom to do whatever you want every Sunday. But you ain't that free. Not as a Christian. Not as a believer. We've got a mission. We've got a mandate. We've got a a life to live. We've got people to help. And by all means, go on your holiday, but come back on fire. Don't get older and colder on me. Some of you need to bomb up your backside. Seriously. Got old and cold. You're cynical and bitter because you don't see Jesus. You see how much hurt you've got in your life. Wake up. Wake up. We're not here to play games. You want to play games? I'll give you names of church. You can play games all you like. We're here to make a difference. Don't waste my time. Don't waste the Holy One's time. Don't kid yourself that your self-righteousness is going to get you anywhere. It's going to get you to hell. That's where it's going to get you. It's a one-way ticket to hell, self-righteousness. If you're an unbeliever in this place, give your life to Christ. Be a real man. Be a real woman. Surrender your life to the one who knows how to live your life. You don't even know how to live your life. I didn't. You don't. 
That's why I gave it to Jesus, because he's the only one who knows how to live my life. I unashamedly give him my life, because he's the only one who knows what to do with it. I'll mess my life up every time. So I gave my life unapologetically, unashamedly to the one who knows how to live it. And I plan, I'm putting my foot to the floor and living it. I realize this is a dangerous message. I don't know if anyone's going to come back tonight. It could be a lonely night, me and Ashley. (laughs) Or something could be resonating within us. I do believe this is a power, not in humor, not in relevance, not in smoke. Not in, I believe the power is in the gospel. And I believe the gospel has been presented today. And I believe there's power to save in this place. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen. And God bless.